an interesting, uh, for me, it's an interesting message. It's uh, when I found out, um, I, by the way, I think I am your annual substitute preacher when the pastors go away on the retreat. I think this might be the third year in a row I've been here on this night. And uh, I just got to thinking about um, the men who are out there, uh, you know, meeting together to cast the vision, to kind of review, what, are we on our main points? Are we staying, are we staying true to the, the main points and the main things? And I got thinking about that, and I, I just uh, reflected a little bit on my own history. Uh, just to do it, I'll give you the, uh, the thumbnail sketch of my, uh, my testimony. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home. I thank God I was born into a family where my mom and dad were both saved before I was born. And both my mom and dad were extremely committed to the Word of God. Um, I found out later in my life, I didn't realize, right before my mom died, I found out she never graduated from high school. I did not know that my whole life until right before she went into heaven. And I don't even know how it came up, but my dad said something about her only going through the 11th grade. Her family moved from, believe it or not, from Pennsylvania all the way to New Jersey. And uh, when she... (laughs) after her junior year, and she just never went back to school. I didn't know you could do that, or I would have moved to New Jersey when I was a junior in high school. But anyway, uh, my dad uh, lived, in, he lived to go to school to play sports, and he was a, a great athlete. But my mom and dad both got saved when they were younger, and uh, they raised us, my sister and I, in a home that was, was very committed to the Word of God. If the Bible said it, we were going to follow that the best we could. And a very simplistic uh, philosophy of life. By the way, I like simple. I don't know about you. You may like complex and deep. And I'm a very simple-minded person. And so that appealed to me as a young boy. When I was six years old, I trusted Christ as my Savior, personally. Uh, by the way, you don't, there are, uh, as my wife would tell you if she were here, there, God has no grandchildren. And so I realized I had to make that choice for myself. Yes, my mom and dad were on their way to heaven. But I had to make that choice for myself. And when I was six years old, I prayed to receive Christ. I can, I can take you to the spot I was in. I, I did not write down the day. I w- always have wished I would. I know I was six years old. And I know it was in the summer. But I don't know the exact day that I, that I prayed. But I remember the exact spot. And I remember exactly what happened. When I got saved, God put a desire on my heart to preach the Bible. I can't explain that to you. I don't know why God did that. And I don't know how he does that. But I never wanted to be a police officer or a fireman like most young boys my age. I did want to be a professional football player for a while. Yeah, you can laugh at that one. That, 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 was, that was a pretty absurd idea. And I've, I've, actually, that's why I have never played professional football. But anyway, uh, I wanted to be a preacher. And I can remember, a true story, I can remember my sister... And I, we had bunk beds in our room, and after we got a little bit older, my mom and dad put them side by side. My sister's bed was there, and and one day I can remember us in our bedroom, and uh, my sister had all her dolls lined up on the bed, and and I I got the hamper, and I put it at the foot of her bed, and I preached to her dolls and to her. None of them got saved, including my sister, which I I really feel they're all backslidden to this day. But anyway, uh, I just, I always had a burden to be a preacher. So I went off to Bible college, and uh, I, was, I was in the, everybody majored in Bible in our school, and I minored in pastoral studies. I was going to be a pastor. And then God did something that I did not expect, nor did I appreciate. He gave me a burden to become a missionary. 
And I argued with God for a good three, four, five months. I just kept telling him, no, God, you've called me to be a pastor. That's what you called me to be, and that's where I'm headed. And, and God just kept hammering me from all different directions about the need for missions. And finally, in the, uh, in the late spring of my freshman year, I surrendered. I said, God, all right, I'll be a missionary. And I was sure he was going to send me to some, you know, mosquito-infested, snake-ridden uh, primitive country, and I'd have to go to an, use an outhouse for the rest of my life. And I was sure of all those things. And, and yet I was willing. I said, God, wherever you want, I'll go. And then uh, I went to my sophomore year. I started school, and I met this beautiful young girl. Uh, her name was Terry. My sister's name was Terry. And uh, ter- this Terry happened to be the sister of my best friend's girlfriend. And obviously, I think you know where that story went, right? Terry is my wife. Now that I met her my sophomore year, and guess what her minor was in college? Missions. I thought, oh, wow, it's a good thing God turned my heart before I met her, because then everybody would claim that I changed just because of her. But uh, anyway, we, we graduated from college, got married in, uh, in November. I graduated in December. Terry graduated in May. Well, we both walked in May, but I finished in December, and we were planning to go to the mission field. She had gone on a summer missions trip to Alaska. And so we were going to go to Alaska. That was our, our goal. And, uh, but we also knew we didn't want to get out of the ministry from college. We wanted to go right into the ministry. We had seen too many of our classmates that graduated from Bible college and then got a job to pay off their school bill and never ended up going back to the ministry. And so we really were concerned that we didn't want that to happen to us. So we prayed that God would open the door for us to get in a ministry right away. And, of course, he did. But it was as an assistant pastor in a small little Bible church near where we live right now, as a matter of fact. I was the youth music pastor there. And I can remember coming out of Bible college. By the way, do you remember your days when you came right out of college? You thought you were going to conquer the world, right? You thought the world was going to love what you were going to do. Man, I was sure of it. I was so sure. You know, I got out of Bible college, and I'm going to go to this church. I'm going to love these people. They're going to love me back. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be an amazing time. And it was for about a month. And then the honeymoon wore off, and some of what I did, some people didn't like, and I didn't like some of what they did, and the next thing I know, we're in the ministry. Are you with me? The ministry is not easy. And I can remember being in that church, and and we did everything. I mean, we cleaned the church. We, uh, we, I led the choir and the singing, and we did special music, and I was in charge of the youth group, and we were just having a ball. We were having the time of our lives. But we realized ministry is really hard work. We then applied to go to Alaska as missionaries toward the end of our first year there at that church, and we were accepted. And uh, the church that we were in, uh, we needed, I, I'll never forget it, we needed $1,264 to go to candidate school for a month, $1,264. We didn't have $164. And so I went to the church and I said, would you, would you all be willing to help us to go to this candidate school? And they said, no. I went home and I said to my wife, uh, we're in the wrong church. So we, I put in some resumes, a, a very large church down in Maryland. I sent a resume on a, on a uh, Friday and on Monday morning, they called me and said, we'd like you to come for an interview. I thought they'd call the wrong number. This was a church of 600. We were in a church of 85. I'd been a youth pastor for a year and a half. I, didn't, I mean, I was so young and so green, it wasn't even funny. By the way, our oldest daughter had just been born. 
So we have a newborn baby, and this church of 600 with a, a youth group of 100 said they'd like me to come to interview for the job. I couldn't believe it. I said, when? They said, how about this Sunday? I couldn't believe it. And we went down, long story short, they, they called us, and we, we moved to Maryland for 10 and a half years. We planned to be there for a year, and then we were going to do what? Go back to the mission field in Alaska. That was our plan. I, again, my plan was to be a, a missionary, but God put us in the pastorate. And we were there for 10 years, and, and uh, God, that's where God touched our heart for the deaf. Little did we know that that would be the mission field God wanted us to go to, that he was preparing us through the pastorate position for that. Uh, it was not long after that, uh, at the end of that 10 years, toward the end of it, we applied with the Bill Rice Ranch. It's a ranch down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, that was uh, started to help deaf teenagers. And here, I didn't know it, but they would send out missionaries to the deaf. And I, I applied, Terry and I applied there. They accepted us, and they said, just wait for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll get things moving. Well, in the meantime, a church in our, in our area where we are in, in Pennsylvania right now called and said, we're looking for a senior pastor. Would you be willing to put your resume in? So we did. Uh, the church voted 96% to take us, and I couldn't tell God no for that. So we went there, and I was a senior pastor for five years. And eventually we got to be uh, missionaries, finally. Whew. Took us a long time, but since 1999, we've been full-time missionaries with Silent Word Ministries now. I tell you that because uh, I want to talk to you tonight about uh, the men that are meeting off-site tonight who are not here. And I want to, I want to talk to you about uh, really how to think about them. October was Pastor Appreciation Month. Did you hear that, by the way? Did you know that? Um, I think it was Pastor Appreciation Month last month. And I want to just talk to you a little bit about appreciating the pastors that you have. And by the way, I'm not saying this because they told me to speak on this tonight. I'm saying it because I've been a pastor before. And I know how difficult it is. I will tell you um, that it's not not an easy job. It's not a job, by the way. It's a calling. If God doesn't call you, don't be a pastor. Because if you decide to be a pastor, you will crash and burn very quickly. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty intense ministry. But I want to take you to, to Psalm 23 because we call our pastors under-shepherds. Have you heard that term before, under-shepherds? Why? Because look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. So we have a shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he is our shepherd, we will never have a want that he cannot meet. Amen? Isn't that great news? By the way, that one verse is good enough. If if that's the only verse we had in the Bible, that'd be be an incredible verse, wouldn't it? The Lord is, say it with me, would you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What a great thought. Father, would you lead our hearts tonight into these verses, just a couple of verses here. Help us to dig deep into what they mean and why you put them in Scripture. And help us to take away from here tonight some things that will literally change our lives, that will help us to be more like our shepherd, the Lord Jesus. I do pray for the men who are meeting. God, give them wisdom. Give them a heart that you have. I pray their heart would match your heart. Actually, I pray, yes, that your heart would would really ooze into them and that this ministry here, Faith Baptist, would be a church that is obviously led by men who are not filled with themselves, 
but filled with the Spirit of God and following this shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Help us to have a sweet time in your word tonight. I pray you give me wisdom, and I ask for strength tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, by the way, don't tell anybody, but on Wednesday nights, I have a rough time going to church on Wednesday nights. I don't know why, but I'm always so tired on Wednesday nights. So I hope you'll try to stay awake. If you will, I'll try to stay awake, all right? Is that a good deal? We'll do that together. I want you to see this verse. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I want to make it very, very clear that your pastor is not your Lord. Hello? Are you with me? He's not the Lord. But he has been appointed by the Lord. He's been called. Your your pastoral staff has been called by the Lord into this ministry. As I mentioned to you before, this is not an occupation. It's not a job. Now, some people look at it that way. And those guys, I wouldn't follow them across the street. I want a man who I know has been called of God and who is unashamed of it and unwavering in that call. These are leaders. They're not God, but they are shepherds under this shepherd of Psalm 23.1. And what are they supposed to do or how are they supposed to minister? I really believe in verses 2 and 3 we find the answer. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 if you'll, if you'll follow with me. Again, these are familiar verses. You probably have memorized them. But verse 2 says, He maketh me, that is the Lord is my shepherd, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So I want you to see here, this is what the shepherd does. So for me, as a man who's been called into the ministry, there is a model I'm supposed to follow. That model that I'm supposed to follow is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Hello? By the way, he's the one you're supposed to be following too. So the way he thinks, the way he talks, the way he walks, the way he acts... Those are the things I should be doing as well. I should be trying to copy the Lord Jesus. I'm grateful for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They give us such details about our Savior because those are the goals of my life. Listen, I don't care what the goals of my job are. I care what the goals of the Word of God are. If I will follow the goals in my Bible, I will meet the requirements of my job. I will be the best employee at my workplace if I follow these principles. Would you agree with that? I fully believe that, by the way. I really believe that God's Word is so powerful, it transcends any kind of occupation or, or uh, ministry that you might have. The answers for everything we do are right here. So look at verses 2 and 3 with me. The first thing it mentions in verse 2 that, Je- that Jesus does for us, or our shepherd does for us, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. So as I read that, I think about... Uh, one of the responsibilities that I think pastors have, and this one may sound strange to you, but in the day we live, it is so vitally important. One of the first things I think the shepherd, our, our under-shepherd, has to do for us is give us protection, guard us. You say, where do you get that from? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Well, if I'm a sheep, first, first of all, I like green pastures. How about you? If I'm a sheep, it's what I eat. But the fact that it says that the sheep can lie down tells me that they're what? They're resting. They're secure. They're safe. They don't need to be on guard. You know, they're not like soldiers in, an, in a military base where certain soldiers are given responsibility to be on the wall and look, look out for the enemy. 
These sheep are lying down, they're sleeping, they're not worried, they're not fretting, they're where they're going to be fed, and they are taken care of, they're secure. And I think one of the responsibilities of a good pastor is to be on the lookout for false teachers. And I'm going to tell you, in the world we are living today, Jesus, by the way, said this is going to happen. You know that, right? In the last days, there are going to be many people who are deceivers and false teachers and spewing all kinds of things and claiming all the while to be Christians. And by the way, we see that all around us today. I teach a deaf Bible study uh, twice a month out in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, and it's with a group of deaf men. And one of the deaf men that comes uh, is one of these false teachers. He, we banned him from coming for a while, and he showed up, and he's come the last two Bible studies. And the last one we had was Monday this last week. He left that Bible study, and today he sent out a, a text to all the people in the Bible study telling them that I am a heretic and that I don't love Jesus and I don't care about deaf people. And, the, the, yeah. and uh, I, you know what? You know what I did? Man, I shot back a text at him. No, I did not. Because my Bible says, answer not a fool in his folly. And by the way, I'll let what I do and who I am speak for who I am rather than try to defend myself. But I'm going to tell you, there's false teachers everywhere, even in the deaf world. You'd think deaf people would not be connected to that, but they're everywhere. And your pastors have a responsibility to guard their people from improper influences. Now, can I say to you, and this really breaks my heart to say it, but it's true. Some of the people they have to guard you against are other believers who are not following the Lord Jesus. Oh, they're saved. They're going to be in heaven one day. But they've gotten off the track. They're backslidden. And they're into promoting themselves. They're into promoting their own ideals, their own ideas. And by the way, they can make them sound very spiritual. That's why you need a good shepherd. Because your shepherd will guard you from that. He'll continue to teach you and feed you the word of God. But he's going to make sure that the influences that are coming to this ministry are going to be those that are those negative, ungodly influences are going to be tried to be pushed away, and exposed when need be. That's not an easy job, by the way. And that's not a fun job to do. But it's very important that pastors look out for the enemies of the sheep. You've heard so many messages on sheep and how dumb they are and how, how un, uh, un, unprotected they are. They've got to have a shepherd. A sheep has not one defensive mechanism. Are you with me? I love to hunt deer. Don't get mad at me for that. But deer have a lot of defensive mechanisms. I watched them uh, yesterday. I was in the tree just watching them with their defensive mechanisms. Like radar finding me in the middle of a forest. How could they find me? Their ears go whoop. Ear goes right to me. Next thing I know, their eyeballs are both looking at me. Their nose holes are going in and out. Cause they're, and the next thing I know, they're gone. Are you with me? They've got defensive me- A sheep? Nothing. They don't, they don't have anything. A wolf comes, a sheep is gone. It's done. That's why the shepherd's there. They guard against predators. They guard against people who are trying to destroy their sheep. Your pastors do that for you. By the way, can I say you probably don't even realize half of the times when they're doing it. But there are things that come to this ministry that, that uh, sneak in unawares and they're aware of it and they do their very best to keep them out. 
Um, let me give you this second phrase there. The second, and I don't have num- number one, two, three, or four, so just stay with me. I don't know which number I'm on right now, to be honest with you. But there in verse 2 it says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And when I think about this one, I think about the responsibility of the pastor to bring us the sustenance that we need. Uh, in other words, let me say that the sheep that I've, I've heard as I've studied these things, sheep will not drink from any moving water. Uh, they're skitterish. They're scared. I, I don't know if skitterish is an actually wor- actual word if my mom made that one up, but I've used it my whole life, so I assume it's a real word. Now, you can tell me later if it is or it is. Well, don't, if it's not, don't tell me. I'd like to think it is. But they're skitterish. They're scared. They, they will not drink from moving water. So the shepherd has to find water that's accessible to them, that's good for them, that's pure, that, that is still. And so he leads them to that place. And I want to say to you that we have water in the Word of God. But we need a pastor who will lead us to this water, to these truths, in such a way that they make sense to us and we can get a hold of them and we can actually incorporate them into our lives. Now, I told you I'm, I'm a very um, kind of a simple person. I don't respond well to people who preach way up here. Now, you may, and, and that's fine if that's who you are. That, I'm not criticizing you, but when I have a guy that uses words that I need a thesaurus to figure out what he's saying, I'm not getting too much. That's moving water for me. Does that make sense to you? And some of you, that may appeal to you. You love the, the nuances of that. That's why I think God lets me work with the deaf, because they don't get those big words either. So we, we match well, the two of us, together. My heart, I like, to get, I, like, I like things to be right in front of me that I can get a hold of. A good pastor, a good under-shepherd, recognizes the needs of all of his people, and he's going to do what he can to take this precious word of God that he has studied and he has learned and he has incorporated into his life and then put it out where the the sheep can get a hold of it. Now, how does he do that? I I put down a couple of things. And by the way, a lot of what I'm going to share with you tonight, I gave you my testimony because I want you to know I, I am not a novice as it comes to thinking about the pastorate. I've not been a missionary my whole life and never been a pastor. I've been a a pastor in pastoral ministry for 17 years of my 40-some years, so it's not something that I have read about. I've, I've done it. So I'm sharing t- with you out of the, the well of my own heart of what I've experienced. Does that, that make sense to you? So there's three things I put that, that the pastor has to do in order to be able to take you to the still waters as his sheep. Number one, he needs to spend time with you. He needs to know you. One of the real challenges of a pastor is that he may have somebody who got saved last week sitting right next to a person who's been saved for 50 years in the same church, in the same meeting, in the same room. And he wants to give still water that reaches the one who's been saved for a week and the one who's been saved for 50 years at the same time. In order to do that, he's got to to know who his people are. And in order to do that, he's got to spend time with them. When Terry and I surrendered to work with the deaf, we had no idea what we were getting into. But one of the things that we did that God led us to do, we didn't even know we were doing it, honestly. God put us right in the midst of a bunch of deaf people. And they touched our lives in so many different ways. And without even knowing it, we were learning 
deaf culture. We were learning how deaf people communicate. We were learning how they hurt and, and, and ways they'd been discriminated against and, and challenges that they had every day. We wouldn't have known those things if we didn't spend time with them. A good shepherd knows each one of his sheep, and the good shepherd takes care of each sheep individually in the way that they need it the most. So the shepherd needs to get to know them. The second thing I put in here that he has to do is he has to develop a trust between him and his people. Now, I want to say this to you, and you're not going to like this part. But the best way to get to know your people that way and to develop that trust between each other is to go through some hard times together. You know, it's one thing... Uh, it's one thing to have everything go smoothly. Everybody gets along and everything's going smooth. But when, when difficult times come and challenges hit and that your pastor comes alongside. I, I remember when we were in Maryland, uh, it was Mother's Day one year, and we had a family in our church that um, they had some, uh, some challenges, husband and wife. They had three children. And they were kind of, uh, they, they were... Um, they were a very unique couple, and this whole family was unique. Well, one Mother's Day, I had gone home and with Terry, and I, I think I was trying to make lunch for her, which is a dangerous thing. Uh, but it was Mother's Day, so I was praying for grace from the Lord not to kill my wife with my cooking. And I got a phone call that this, this family's house was on fire. I jumped in the car, and I drove to their home, and I got as close as I could, and and, um, and I remember th- they had fire hoses all stretched across streets, and I couldn't get through. I parked as close as I could. I got out. I went to the nearest fireman, and I said, I'm the pastor of the couple whose house is on fire. He said, come with me. And he took me, and uh, I got to the place where I, the wife was there and one of their daughters. And she is just blubbering. She is just bawling her eyes out. And I said, Leslie, what, what happened? What's going on? And she said... Jerry, they just took our little baby to the hospital, and our daughter was in there, and she's, she's not making a whole lot of sense. So I, I, somebody had come along from the class and was with her. I jumped in my car. I take off for the hospital. I get to the hospital, and I come in the emergency room, and there's Jerry, and he's a real big guy. Jerry's a big guy. And there lays their little boy. By the way, one week age difference from our son. There lays their son lifeless. And Jerry is saying, Pastor, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I didn't really have the answer. I didn't know what he would do. I don't know what I would do. Are you with me? So I got out my Bible and started reading. No, (laughs) I did not get out my Bible. I did not start quoting scripture. You know what I did with him? I put my arm around that big old shoulder and I squeezed him and I said, Jerry, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do it together. I love you and I'm here for you. My heart's breaking because all I can see is my son laying on that table. I preached his son's funeral. By the way, his oldest daughter had gone back in to get him. She inhaled smoke so much that she was a vegetable for the rest of her life. I preached her funeral. Being a pastor is being with your people. By the way, let me tell you, my heart was connected with Jerry's heart for the rest of his life and the rest of my life. He's in heaven now too. But our hearts were connected. How did that happen? Because we were with each other 
and the most difficult of times. I know your pastors in this church. When you have difficult times, they're not running away from you. They're running to you. That's what they have to do in order to gain that trust to be able to, to take you uh, to those still waters. The last thing he needs to do, your, your pastor, your under-shepherd, needs to beg God for wisdom so he can reach your heart right where you are. And by the way, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a church where my head gets reached and not my heart. Are you with me? I want my heart to be touched. I want, I want when I, I mean, and by the way, I have to say to you, uh, the main reason we love to come to your church is because of Layla, Amari, and Xavier. I'm not going to lie to you. But the second reason we love to come here, well, then Amanda and Lawrence, too. I'll, I'll, I'll add Amanda and Lawrence in there, too. But the second reason I love to come here is this church touches my heart. I loved last Easter. Terry and I had the privilege to come over and sit over here and interpret for your deaf while you did the Easter drama. And I, listen, folks, I'm, gonna, I'm not saying this to puff you up, but we sat over there and wept, Terry and I, because of how touching the whole thing was. And on top of that, your deaf teenage girl got saved last year at the Easter drama because her heart was touched. I want to be in a place where my heart gets touched. And that doesn't happen without your pastor begging God for wisdom to make your pastors begging God to make that happen. By the way, I want to say this very clearly. It's not just Pastor Walker. It's every pastor that's on staff. The people that God gives them to reach, every one of them should feel these same things. So when you come to church and you hear a message that makes you think about where you are and makes you consider making changes in your life, don't get mad at the pastor. Thank God you have a pastor who cares enough about you to preach things that every one of us needs to hear to change our lives to be more like Jesus. Amen? I hope you really mean that because that's really important. I don't want to go somewhere and somebody tell me I'm doing great. Hello? Because none of us is doing great, I'm sorry to tell you. All of us have a lot of room to improve. I want to come to a place where they're going to open the Bible and say, here's what the Bible says, this is what you need. And I'm going to leave here saying, by God's grace, I'm going to do that. I want that to be part of my, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Look at verse 3. I better hustle a little bit. Oh, no, we're good. Usually stay till 8, is that right? Or 8.30 or 9? I always do that just for fun. I don't have enough to say that long. Look at verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I like that, that phrase, he restoreth my soul. A good under-shepherd under is going to help to encourage and to counsel his people. We are living in very difficult times. I was driving here and I was praying on my way here tonight. And I started out, by the way, there's no sense in you making up stuff when you talk to God. He already knows your heart. So just tell him what's on your heart. Are you with me? And I got in my car and I started naming some people I'm really burdened about. Some in my family. Some are friends of mine. Then I said, God, I'm just burdened for my whole world. I mean, our world is a mess. I'm burdened for Israel. I've been burdened for Ukraine for over a year. I have dear friends in Ukraine that are fighting in that war over there and have been fighting. By the way, I don't want you to forget about them. I don't want to forget about them. I pray for them every day. And I said to God, these are burdens on my heart. And I'm glad that I can come to you. We, we live in a world that is, is, a, is in a mess right now. And we need good leadership. We need good under-shepherds who will encourage us and give us counsel. 
So I want to ask you to do something today. Now, your pastors aren't here. They're gone. Uh, they're, probably, they're probably making s'mores right now around a fire somewhere. No, I don't know what they're doing. But would you pray for them? Because every day of their ministry lives, somebody, there's a potential for somebody to call them out of the blue and ask them for advice on something that is really difficult. I know that because I have been there. I know that because I am there. And I want you to pray for your pastors to have incredible wisdom, godly wisdom, wisdom that comes from this book, by the way, not from what they read in Reader's Digest. I don't even know if Reader's Digest is still printed, but we always used to say that, and I'm old, so I'll just say it. Or something they got off Google. I want, I want my pastor to be in this book so much that this book flows out of him when needs come. Would you pray for your preachers to do that? Would you pray that when, when, when Lawrence is sitting with a teenager across a, a, across a, a table and they ask him a really diff- By the way, teenagers have the most difficult questions of anybody I've ever heard before because there's no filter on them. We adults say, oh, I would ask that, but if I ask that, teenagers just ask it. Pray for them to have wisdom. Pray for them to have counsel that will restore the souls of the people that they're in front of. They need to give good biblical advice, and and I hope that you'll pray for them as they attempt to restore the souls of others. If you know of a situation where your pastor is going to meet with somebody, can I say too, I just did a funeral a couple weeks ago. I sat with a family whose hearts were completely broken, and I'm going to try to bring comfort and help to them. I don't have comfort and help to bring them. But I do have this, and I do have the Holy Spirit of God within me, and they had him within them. So pray for your pastors to have that wisdom to be able to help restore the souls of the people they're working with. And then let me give you that last phrase. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A good under-shepherd will not lead in the ways that they think are best, But they will study the Word of God daily so that they can take these things that are in the Word of God and lead people in those paths of righteousness. Now, I have to tell you, it's kind of a funny story, and and I tease my mother-in-law about this all the time. But my mother-in-law, when when we graduated from Bible college, I have a brother-in-law I was telling you about was dating Terry's sister. He's now my brother-in-law. She's my sister-in-law. He and I are still in the ministry. We've been in the ministry now for over 40 years, him and I. And uh, she, my, our mother-in-law, we were sitting around the table. It was just, we didn't have any children yet. We're sitting around the table. He and I are so green, it's not even funny. We're so excited we're going to be in the ministry, like I told you before. We just think everybody's going to love us. We're going to love them. We're both in that, that honeymoon stage. My mother-in-law sits at the table, looks across the table at both of us and says, well, you know, preachers only work two days a week. And, and she didn't say it in a nice way. And... and uh, my brother-in-law and I looked at each other and we're like, you're kidding, right? She said, no, you work Sunday and Wednesday. Well, nowadays, you only work Sunday morning, a lot of preachers. They don't even do Wednesday. They don't do Sunday night. They don't do any of the stuff we were doing then. And thank God you're still doing here and I'm still doing too. Um, I can tell you there's a lot of people, that's all they work, that are in the ministry. Thank God you don't have pastors like that. You have pastors who are committed to you so much so that they spend their time digging in this book with the purpose of, number one, walking with God themselves. Amen? Pray for that, by the way. 
Pray for them to walk in the truths they're, they're reading. But number two, they, they, they study this book and they study it every day. They're studying it because they're asking God for guidance to be able to understand what they're reading and then to apply it not only to their own lives, but to the lives of the people that are in front of them. That's the process. So I want you to pray for your pastors. I want you to ask God to to help them to shepherd you well. And then I want you to pray that you'll be a good sheep. Amen. That you will follow Uh, Here's one thing I've told our kids all all the years growing up. I've said to our kids this. If if there's somebody that's going in the right direction where you're going today, you follow them. But if there's nobody going in the right direction, I hope you young people are listening to me. You You young guys back there, I want you to listen to me. You too, yes. Pay attention. If somebody's not going in the right direction, you step up and be the leader. If somebody's leading in the right direction, follow them. But if nobody's leading in the right direction, don't follow them in the wrong direction. You stand up and go in the right direction and have them to follow you. And that's what you want to pray for your pastoral staff. You've got pastors who love you, who are so committed to you that they're going to spend two and a half days just pouring over, God, what do you want for Faith Baptist Church? We're not talking about the church across town or the church as a national church. What do you want this local church? What do you want for us to do? And they're begging God for that. Now, when they come back, they're going to be all juiced up. They're going to be ready to go. They're going to have fresh fire. Don't you come with a bucket of water on Sunday and throw it on them. Amen? You come and say, Pastor, I'm with you. I remember I was in a meeting one time. I probably shouldn't tell this story, but my wife's not here, so I have no governor. She would be like, no, don't. <laughs> She's not here, so I'm just telling it. I was in a business meeting one time in a church. I see you're having a business meeting. I saw that. I, didn't, I never liked the business meetings. But anyway, you have one coming up. I don't know when it is, next week or sometime soon. I was in a business meeting, and it was getting toward the end, and one guy stood up in the church, and he said uh, he wanted to vote for a I want to have a vote for a vote of confidence for the pastor. That's because him and a bunch of little dissidents, little whiners, had found something they didn't like about the pastor, and they wanted to they wanted to vote him out there in that meeting. And the deacon stood up and he said, "Well, that's not the way our constitution works. If you have a problem, you have to submit it. Uh, it's got two weeks. I don't know. There was a time frame on it and all this kind of stuff. And and he squelched it. Praise the Lord, he squelched it. We went out in the lobby." And by the way, I didn't even know what the issues were. I'm, I'm grateful that I, a lot of times I have no clue what's happening. That's a good thing sometimes. But here's one thing I did know. And I, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm pointing over here. That's where they were sitting. You, you all are not a part of this. It just That's where they were sitting at the time. But I, I didn't know anything, but I knew one thing. That group did not handle that situation according to the Word of God. So I walked out of the church, and I got to the pastor, and I said to him, and, and he, was, he was a pretty big guy, and I'm not. I'm height-challenged and width-challenged, too. But anyway, I, I, I went out to him, and I said, Pastor, I don't know what the issues are, but I'll stand with my back to your back. I'll take anybody coming my way. You take whoever's coming your way. Why? That was my under-shepherd. I'm going to stand with my under-shepherd until I can see from the Word of God I should not. But I'm going to stand loyal to the pastor of my church, And by the way, I I believe with all my heart to this day, I was right. 
All those people left. Praise the Lord. The church went on and did better because they left. I, didn't, I never did find out what the issues were, but I'm grateful that I could stand where I did, and I hope you'll do the same. So I want you to pray for your pastoral staff. I want you to ask God to help them to be faithful. Let me get you to turn to one last passage, and then we're going to be done. Uh, Ezra, just go in front of Psalms, a couple of books. Ezra chapter 7. I think I might have preached this verse here before, so I'm not going to preach it to you tonight. But I love this verse because I believe that this is what we should be praying for our pastors. And by the way, I'm praying this for my pastor and our pastoral staff at our home church. I'm praying that this verse will be their testimony. In Ezra chapter 7, I want you to see Ezra writes an autobiographical statement about himself in verse 10. It says that, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach, Israel, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Do you see that verse? Let me read it again. Look at it with your eyes so you can see it. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. That's what I want you to pray for your pastoral staff. God help them to prepare their heart. By the way, that word prepare there has the idea of establishing or fixing their hearts. What do you think they're doing tonight in the place they are? This is what they're doing. They're preparing their hearts. Their heart, the heart there is in reference to the center of who they are, the core of their, of the, their being. And look what he prepared his heart for three things. Number one, to seek the law of the Lord. I want you to ask God. By the way, if I were you, I would just write down this verse and pray this verse for your pastor on a regular basis. If you want to pray it every day, that'd be great. If you want to pray it once a week, that would be great. If you want to pray it once a month or once in a while, I don't care. But I would pray, God, would you help my pastor to seek the law of the Lord? I pray this for my pastor. I ask God... Please, Holy Spirit of God, you lead my pastor. Don't let anybody else take that spot. I don't want anybody on this earth to lead my pastor. I want the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to lead my pastor. And so I ask him, Lord, help my pastor to seek seek the law of the Lord. Secondly, that little phrase, I call it the Nike phrase, to do it. I want to pray that my pastor will not just seek the law of the Lord. I want my pastor to obey the law of the Lord. I want him to live what he preaches. Can I say you cannot teach what you have not learned? You cannot live what you have not learned. So I'm going to ask the Lord, help my pastor to seek the law of the Lord. And then God, would you help him to obey it? Would you help him to live it, flesh it out, we might say today? Help him to live it in front of us so that we can see the evidence of the law of the Lord in the behavior of our pastor. That's a good thing, don't you think? Don't you think? You're allowed to talk. It's a Wednesday night. I I want my pastor to demonstrate to me the things he's going to preach to me. I want to know that he doesn't just preach it. He lives it. He believes it. And the last thing it says, then he can teach those things. And here it says in Israel, in Ezra's case, that's where he was. The statutes and the judgments. I want my pastor to take what God has placed in his heart, in his prayer closet, in his time alone with God, with just this book and my pastor. I want him to come out of that closet and I want him to say to me, 
here's what God has taught me. I'll tell you one thing. I will learn more from a simple statement that comes from that kind of heart than I will learn from a guy who speaks to me for an hour and a half from his head and what he's read in another man's book. I guess I'm getting real personal. That's why you're getting quiet. But that's the pastor I want. I hope you'll pray for your pastoral staff. Ask God to help them to be this Ezra 710 kind of pastor. By the way, I think it would be good for you to pray that for yourself. Amen? God, help me to be this kind of person. Ezra 710 isn't for a preacher. It's for a believer. I hope that's been an encouragement to you. I don't know uh, why God touched my heart with that tonight, but that's what God touched my heart with for you. I I thank God for your pastoral staff. I I have been blessed by their ministry to me, and I I know you have been far more blessed than me. You're with them uh, all the time, but... You know what? It might be a good idea. I know Pastor Appreciation Month was last month, but I think the world made that up. So it's all right if you wanted to write a note to your pastor or your pastors and thank them for something they've done for you that's touched your heart. It might be something that's simple to you, but I will tell you this. I have a file folder in my desk tonight of notes that people have sent me to thank me for the ministry. I wish my file was a lot bigger. It's not real, real big, but it's important to me, and it would be important to your pastor. Father, thank you for this time. Help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to be Ezra 710 people. Help us to seek the law of the Lord. Help us to do it. And then, Lord, help us to take what we've learned in, in those times and share it with everybody that we can. Would you bless Faith Baptist Church, Lord? Thank you for blessing them with a good pastoral staff. I pray for those men tonight as they're there meeting and sharing and and casting a vision for the days ahead. God, please don't let any human being get involved in that. Would you set the direction for this church and help these men to be men of God and to follow you faithfully and humbly? And God, would you bless this church in the days ahead greater than you have in the days behind? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks, for coming and being so attentive. I appreciate it.